a small but incredibly powerful thing that you can do to reduce mental health stigma is to talk openly and honestly with friends, family, people you really care about. It seems small, but it's incredibly important and really powerful. Hey family, I'm Leon Guidry. Welcome to the Brother Be Well podcast. Our conversations focus on mental health and wellness. Our intent is to provide a safe space for boys and men of color to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. Listen up, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Tonight, we're going to be talking about stigma that is still, believe it or not, associated with mental health and how stigma manifests itself across generations. You know, as I think about media, Brother Be Well is a, is a media platform of its own, so we're going to take pride in helping to turn this train around. But Esther, I'm wondering what you would have to say about the role of media in, in perpetuating those messages over time. You know, call me crazy, but I find like media is actually helping, especially mm. right now with the pandemic and um Everything that happened in 2020, I feel like this has really given a push towards talking about uh, mental health and trying to break through that stigma, honestly. Um, If nothing else, it's starting a lot of conversations and then people don't feel like they're in a bubble all by themselves. Mm -hmm. You can find somebody who's going through what you're going through and maybe they can point you to the right places to get help. Um, I still feel like we are touching the surface, especially when it comes to um, what we call the more the major, you know, mental illness spectrum, like things like schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder. I feel like those are still majorly unknown and people, I think, tread more carefully and don't speak about it as much as opposed to anxiety and depression. That's seen more on the milder category, right? So I feel like that's more socially acceptable. But even that in prior generations, um, people would tell you, get over it or uh, pray about it. Um, It wasn't seen as a real issue Mm -hmm. as opposed to the generation now actually acknowledges it. And they try to exercise good um, behaviors, right? Taking care of yourself, um, making sure you have help, those kind of things. So I still feel we have a long way to go, but I feel like we're coming a long way as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that media with time is also trying to portray a more accurate picture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. only little by little that we're going to get to that space. And also I feel the reason why um, it's taking longer to overcome is the fact that mental illness is something that people try to hide and they're able, you can function in life to some degree by hiding it. It's mm-hmm. not until you start to, it really builds up and you start to display behaviors that makes people question mm-hmm. that um, now suddenly it's a conversation, but you hide it. You go to work and you hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're with your family and you hide it. Um, but I think we need to get past that to where it's normal. And I feel like the generation coming up now, because it is addressed in schools due to these conversations that are happening from social media and from you know, the internet and TV, radio, I feel like we're going to have a different generation on our hands that's more willing and um, able to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you're right. We, we, can, um, we can make short shrift of this next one because we've talked about it already, but I want to specifically mention um, um, uh, campaigns that have mm-hmm. existed uh, more recently, uh, not just Brother Be Well, uh, Know the Signs here in Northern California, 
I think there have been there's a shift there. I, I think even 20 years ago, you didn't see billboards on the side of the road that said there were no the signs of depression. And, and yeah. you know, um, they weren't actors. I happen to know one of the people that put that campaign together. They actually recruited people who had had were either in recovery or had recovered from mental health conditions. And so their faces, you know, I got depressed when my mother passed away and, and this mm-hmm. is what I did. I think it was a very compelling campaign and helped to kind of um, not not erase, but certainly brush away to a great extent. A lot of that internalized stigma, especially with people of color communities here in town. Would you agree? Yeah, Michael. Um, and I just want to make a tiny little bit of correction. The mm-hmm. campaign is actually the uh, multimedia campaign called Mental Illness. It's not always what you think. I'm actually on the creator board of that um, of that campaign. Um, so we have billboard across Sacramento. And I think it's important, you know, as you mentioned, um, to know the sign. But it's also a very positive message. I was actually recruited to be on the billboard. But this is the very essence of stigma. I self-stigmatized and I was scared, you know, um, wow. what if my employer see me on the billboard and they won't hire me, but they don't have to tell me that they're not hiring me because I have depressions wow. um, simply because they see me on the billboard. Um, but the billboards is very beautifully done and we've done a great job with it. You know, it would say something along the line of brother, um, you know, father, you know, like to play music, living with depression. It's mm-hmm. just making the conversation about mental illness um, just a bit of the normalcy, uh, if you can call it a normalcy, um, as if you have, you know, diabetes, like, you know, mm-hmm. at work, you know, if my friends have are diabetic and I offer them a cookie and they said, no, I'm diabetic. I mm-hmm. prefer to, you know, to, to stay for, away from the sweet because I'm diabetic. So it's, not something that they ashamed of, you know, or if I have someone has hypertension, oh, I, I'm hypertensive. I can't have too much salt. This is something that is normalized in the conversation. And it shouldn't have to come to the point where we need to normalize the conversation because it should be so normal. It's part of the being a human being and experience those emotions and those struggles that we all experience. But because there are so much stigma and discriminations um, against mental illness, we need to move forward uh, and, and normalize the conversation, just like Esther mentioned. So I think, mm-hmm. thank you, Esther, for bringing that point up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Esther. You know, and, and, and I just want to say that, you know, when you talk about normalizing conversations, um, Jake, I ho- Jacob, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. Um, Jacob and I have had several conversations well prior to Brother Be Well. One of the reasons I wanted him to be a part of this conversation is you know, we have had some fairly personal conversations about our own journeys in a completely unvarnished way, if you would agree with me, Jacob. And I can't say, talk about just in your social settings, if you can develop friends that you can just sit back and say, wow, let me tell you, I'm sure that story about, you know, that I just told about crazy people, me hearing that as a child, I'm sure I probably have mentioned that to Jacob before. We've had that level of conversations about things that occurred decades ago, and it's been tremendously healing friendship. So, little plug for my friendship with you, Jake. Appreciate you being here, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's talk about something I just learned about. This is another one where I'm going to let my smart people in the room talk. Mm -hmm. Because I learned about borderline personality disorder as I was getting ready to to talk with you guys. I found out just how misunderstood it really is. I'm wondering about why it's so misunderstood 
and I'm wondering also if it always involves self harm because some of the some of the articles and, and stuff I found seem to tie it always to self harm, others not. So I wanted to get at that a little bit, maybe primarily for you, Esther, and you, Patrick, the the medical folks in the room, talk about uh, borderline personality disorder. What is it, and and why is it so misunderstood? And is self harm always a part of it? I can take the lead on that. So. Um... My understanding of borderline personality uh, disorder is through a PA school. And you're right, there are a lot of stigma with this condition. It's one of the conditions that um, any clinician who encounter a patient with, with this condition will frown, you know, because they have to kind of prepare themselves. How can I handle this patient, not only for their own safety, but also for my safety? Um, because... Um, you know, the definition is that they have very unstable relationship and the way that they interact with the world is also very unpredictable. Um, one day, you know, a patient with borderline personality disorder would have, um, you know, like a very nice, pleasant demeanor. And the next day they would just screaming your heads off and, you know, cursing you out because you are not um, giving them what they need in terms of medical treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people like, got confused between borderline personality disorder and multiple personality disorder, which is a two separate condition. Mm-hmm. One just means that they are they're having unstable relationship with themselves, with the world. The other means that they have multiple, almost personality in one person. So it's mm-hmm. separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and self-harm is definitely um, a key term or like a, a hot term when it comes to borderline personality disorder just from you know remember i'm taking my boy exam um when there's self-harm involved and when there's um a woman um involved and you know they give you a scenario what what kind of uh disorder that is is borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. automatically come to that we don't know why exactly that is the case I think, um, you know, when you have unstable relationship, and this is just my theory, um, your interaction with the world is different, right? So we we are perceived by the world by how we act, by how we, um, you know, carry ourselves and having the, the conversation and the way we talk to people. So for borderline personality disorder, um, the individual having that condition, they confuse people because they don't, they make they confuse people and, you know, people don't know how to act around them or how to interact with them. Mm-hmm. And again, we go back to the self stigmatizations of that process where they internalize it. Something is wrong with them. Um, and then it, that vicious cycle continue to roll. It's like a snowballing effect where it's just yeah. getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, there's, a, there's only so much a person can take. So, I'm not surprised that self-harm is part of that condition, Mm. Um, but it's also what we have been trained and what's ingrained in my brain as a clinician because I would train that way. So there's also a lot of stigma in the medical literature about this condition. Wow. That makes sense because I'm I'm not trained in that industry really, but I could see that, that, that bias in some of that literature I was reading. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Esther, do you have a perspective about that? So obviously I'm not trained in mental health. Um, I can only speak on the health side of things, but in my background of just studying psychology, I feel like with borderline personality disorder, it can be a little bit hard to identify and actually diagnose somebody with it because 
um, it can be mistaken for other disorders, right? Because um, you display such a variance of behaviors that um, you'll often be, get misdiagnosed with like anxiety disorder or substance abuse mm. um, disorder, things like that, because they're just displaying so many different emotions and you don't always get a consistency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I must feel like it will never just be a diagnosis of just borderline personality disorder, but it will have accompanying um, mm-hmm. factors with it as well, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or a dual diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, Jacob, I don't want to cut you out of that. Anything you want to add to that? Um, so I don't have too much to add about uh, borderline personality disorder. I think maybe it might be useful uh, to uh, share a, a definition of what uh, borderline personality is. Uh, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, borderline personality disorder is an illness marked by ongoing patterns of varying moods, self-image, and behavior. These symptoms often result in impulsive actions and problems in relationships, things that Patrick and, and Esther have already t- uh, touched on. Uh, people with borderline personality disorder may experience intense episodes of anger, depression, and anxiety, and can last from a few hours to a few days. Again, something that Patrick has already touched on. Um, uh, so I, I actually had a friend who was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder, and I, um, just in my brief interactions with that person, um, it can be overwhelming and difficult. And it's, unless you have the proper education and mental health support system for yourself to begin interacting with that person, it can seem impossible. So I know it's incredibly difficult uh, to address fa- friends, family, and loved ones who, who are uh, experiencing borderline personality disorder. So that might add to some of the issues why it's hard to conceptualize and hard to approach. Mm-hmm. As we get ready to wrap up, we could talk, you know, is getting into the wee hours of the night. We could talk for a while, but we're just about out of time. Um, I'm going to ask the three of you, and and Jacob, I'm going to wrap up with you. You're the newbie, so I'm going to put you on the spot to really close it out strong. But I'm going to ask each of the three of you what the open question, what can we do to reduce stigma? And I don't want you to talk about multiple things. If you could, for someone watching this, if you could say one thing that they could do to help reduce or eliminate stigma with regard to mental health, what would it be? Patrick Ma. I think this is to um, recognizing your, what we call unconscious bias. Um, We all have bias because that's how we perceive the world and process information. But I think, you know, just understand that you may not understand, um, recognize that you may not understand mental health condition and mental illness and recognize that you have that unconscious bias and be willing to learn about these things and to help, you know, educate yourself and to help reduce the stigma and discrimination. I think that's the first step. Mm, excellent. Thank you. Esther Murithi, what would you have to say? One thing. I would say right along with that, with education, is staying open um, and not letting your default be, well, that's crazy. Let me turn around and not listen to that. I think it's very important that you stay open to the people around you and what they're trying to say to you. And if they, if it's something you don't feel comfortable handling, don't just walk away, but try to find resources for them. Two excellent tips so far. And so who better to give us a home run, <laughs> the third the third knockout of the park, Jacob Vargas. One I, I think, I think a, a small but incredibly powerful thing that you can do to reduce mental health stigma 
is to talk openly and honestly with friends, family, people you really care about, um, about the issues that you're struggling with. You mentioned previously that you and I have had some really, really deep conversations. And as difficult as, as it was to hear the experiences that you went through, I found the whole experience to be a kind of a healing one. Um, mm. If not for you, for, for me, definitely, to hear you say those things. Not only that, but talking about those things, you were a role model of, of how vulnerability can be a strength and how you can reach out and get through things together and that you don't have to be alone. So talking about it with those people that you care about is, it seems small, but it's incredibly important and really powerful. I have a cop. Thank you for saying that, Jacob. I have a colleague here at Brother Be Well, uh, uh, Justin Martinez, and he is smiling somewhere listening to you say, I am a robot. Michael P. Coleman. <laughs> that man is always talking about vulnerability as a superpower. So, oh my gosh. Justin, if you're out there anywhere, no, dude, I was on top of that vulnerability thing before you were mm. born, young man. I got it. <laughs> I want to thank you guys. It's always fun when we get together, even though these topics aren't always fun to talk about. I always learn something. I've got notes right here, and I've got some ideas from some additional uh, uh, broadcasts that we're going to do, so I want to thank everybody. Patrick Ma, um, advisor to Brother Be Well, Esther Murithi, uh, representative of Capital City Black Nurses Association, and new friend to Brother Be Well, and old buddy of mine, Jacob Vargas. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate your help today. Thank you, Mike. Glad I could be part of it. Great to be a part of it. If you've heard anything that you, you've been intrigued by or want to hear a little bit more about, um, you can go to mentalhealthca.org. You can subscribe to the magazine right there, find out all kinds of tips, videos, print pieces, do the whole thing. Also, I mentioned Esther's organization, Capital City Black Nurses Association. They're at ccbna.org. So check them out as well. My name is, we get ready to wrap up. Again, Michael P. Coleman, content director and lead writer for Brother Be Well. And I want to encourage you to do two things for me, if you would. Take good care of yourself and then take good care of somebody else. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Brother Be Well podcast. Remember to join the BBW community at brotherbewell.com so we can stay aware and heal trauma together. Thanks also to our sponsors, Sutter Health and the Sacramento County Division of Behavioral Health Services through the voter-approved Proposition 63 Mental Health Services Act. I'm Leon Guidry, and I'm out.